I am Pastor Tito, your high school and young adults pastor, and I'm always thrilled any opportunity I get to spend some time with you. We are closing a three-week series called Finish Strong, where our heart has been to give you some practical ways to finish this year strong and go into the next with some, some good tools and wins under your belt. So today we wanted to zero in on this idea of setting the pace. There's this really great book I read a couple years ago by a Christian author named John Acuff. It's called Start, and this serves as the inspiration for today's message. And the whole idea is that we've all been called to make a switch from average to awesome. That we've all been called to make a switch from wherever we are now to making great, is how we would say it here at Westover. And the whole idea is that in our lives, we tend to get stuck in the dull, in the predictable, in the boring, in the unfulfilling. But I believe God is calling us to recalibrate. And that God is asking us instead to focus our mental energy, our time, our intentionality on the unique things that only we can do and that he has called us to do. And before we make the switch from average to awesome, we've got to learn to punch fear in the face. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor Tito, tis the season. We shouldn't be punching anybody or anything in the face. But here's, here's what you may know already. In Scripture, the term fear not is used over 80 times. And the Scripture is used, and one of the most memorable examples that comes to mind is the story of this little Jewish girl who's between 12 to, some scholars believe, 12 to 16 years old. She has an encounter with the angel of the Lord, and you've heard the story. The angel of the Lord comes to her, tells her she's rightly favored, that she's going to give birth to the Savior, and she's faced with a crossroads. To fear or not to fear? That is the question. To have faith. And for good reason. She's wondering, well, will her friends and her family believe her? Will they support her when she says that, that it's the Holy Spirit that came upon her and now she's with child? And she's wondering if her husband-to-be is going to believe her. And if he's going to trust that she's telling the truth or if he's just going to leave. And can you imagine she loves this guy and her whole future's wrapped up in him and her. And she's writing his last name with her first name and kind of that whole thing. But you know how the story goes. She turns to God in faith, knowing that the work God has given her is no small job, but it was work that really mattered. And because the work mattered so much, she was able to trust God with her anxiety and her fear and believe that God was going to be the one to lead her and pull her through. And in our lives, friends, I really believe that God is calling us to do this as well. Now, I can promise nobody in this room is going to get overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and become pregnant with a with child. Like, that's not how that works. But God has created you special with talents and desires and unique abilities. And when those abilities and talents are put in God's hands, you can affect somebody else's story for eternity. But it's when we allow that fear to cripple us that we're often handicapped from even attempting the very things that God knows will bring us the most fulfillment. So we wanted to, to play this little pop culture trivia game to help illustrate this. And here's how it works. The, the, these are the tales of some people who had to punch fear in the face. 
and we're going to see how many you get right. Feel free to kind of play with, you know, interact with your neighbor. I'm going to read off a few stats, and you can see how many you get. Here we go. This person wasn't able to speak till they were almost four years old. Their teacher said you will never amount to much. Feel free to Google it if you need to. Okay? The answer is Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Man, that teacher was way off. Some of you got it. Great job. Great job. Next one. The teacher said you are too stupid to learn anything. And you should go into a field where you may succeed on virtue of your pleasant personality. Ouch. And eventually this person went on to have 9,999 failed attempts at an invention. Thomas Edison, great job, great job. And, and I think it's interesting to note, just for a moment, based off of these two men, how important words are in the life of a child. How important it is that, that if these men were to have bowed down to the words that were spoken over their lives, how different our world would be today. And, and let that be a, a reminder, friends, that when we joke with other people that our words carry weight, or when we discipline our children out of anger, or when we say things we don't mean in the heat of the moment. So a couple more examples, here we go. Uh, these guys were rejected by Decca Records, who said guitar groups are on the way out, and you have no future in show business. The Beatles, great job, great job. And, and everyone with good taste in music said amen, right? Next one, they, they were turned down 242 times by banks before finally receiving funding for their restaurant. Now this one's kind of a harder one. Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks. Now, by the way, there are roughly 29,324 Starbucks across the world. Okay? Next one, this person was cut from their high school basketball team. They missed more than 9,000 shots, lost almost 300 games, 26 times missed the game-winning shot. You guessed it, Michael Jordan, the, the living legend, way better than uh, LeBron James. I'll, I'll leave that there. Leave that there. I'm not even a sports guy, but I know that one. And this last one, they lost their job. They failed an attempt at starting a business. His fiance died. He then had a nervous breakdown the following year and was defeated in eight elections over 30 years. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. And here's, here's a thought. Failure is a part of success. And if you've never failed before, I would, I would say that maybe you've been playing your life a little too safe. One president said it this way, if you live long enough, you'll make mistakes, but if you learn from them, you'll be a better person. It's how you handle adversity, not how it affects you. The main thing is never quit, never quit, never quit. That's good. I heard a preacher say it like this, never let fear of failure stop you from stepping out on faith. And there comes a time, friends, where every one of us is going to have to punch fear in the face because God is leading you somewhere to do something. And, and if God's leading you and you've already got godly wisdom and sound counsel from people who love Jesus, and if you know it's in alignment with God's word, then there comes a point where you have to do as Taylor 3.16 says and just shake it off. You just shake it off and you do work that matters. 
And listen to what God's word says in Luke chapter 12, verse 42 through 44. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your apps, it says, And the Lord replied, A sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And just look at the words of Jesus here. Responsibility and management. In other words, everything we have, everything we own, is really, truly on loan from God. Our kids, they're on loan from God. Some of you are like, man, when am I going to get to give them back? They're a handful. Our friends are on loan from God. Our spouses, our jobs, even our bodies. Even our bodies ultimately don't belong to us. They belong to God. And here's what that means, friends. That we need to be so careful even about what we put in our bodies. Whether it's legalized or not legalized. What substances are we allowing to affect us? What drinks are we allowing to cloud our judgment? What foods even that are affecting the longevity of our lives? That also means what are we feeding our souls with? What kind of music are we listening to? What TV shows are we watching? What gossip are we partaking in? All of it. And with this, Jesus is teaching his disciples that because what we are in charge of doesn't belong to us, we are managers, and as managers we must be responsible as people who will give an account one day. And Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, if the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put the servant in charge of everything he owns. Now, I just, I just think that's super interesting. In the story, the master comes back. He sees what a great job that the servant did. And what does he do? He gives him more work. He doesn't say, hey, man, why don't you take two more weeks off? He doesn't do that at all. He gives him more responsibilities. Hey, man, great job with those, in ten, those ten employees. Here are ten more. Hey, great job with that one location. Let's put you in charge of three. Or hey, you know, hey, great job with those two kids. How about you have three or four or five or six or seven? And my guess is that's why some of you have so many children, right? <laughs> he knows. He knows. And you would think the owner would say, it's time to rest. It's, it's time to relax. But instead, in God's economy, it's not that way. Because there's work that matters to be done. And we all have a part in that. And God wants you to be the one to do it. And he ends the story like this. In verse 48 at the end of that paragraph, Jesus says, To whom much is given, much is required. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought this way before, but there have been times when I've read this scripture and I've thought, yeah, sure, but I haven't been given all that much. Like, yeah, I guess I'm a smart guy. I, I was 10 per, top 10% in high school and magna cum laude in high school and in college. But my friend, Samuel Lee, he was an Asian. Now, that's a Latin word, meaning someone who's really good at everything. <laughs> everything. My friend Samuel Lee, he skipped a grade. And then when he got in my grade, he made better grades than me. And he destroyed every curve on every test. He, lear he learned guitar in six months his senior year. I'd been playing since I was 10. And then he was better than me. And to cap it off, 
after he graduated high school, he went straight to MIT. I went straight to community college. <laughs> right? I mean, have you ever had thoughts like that? And it's so easy to downplay what we have when we're comparing what we have to someone else. And the truth is this. Sometimes we don't feel like we've been given much. Maybe you grew up in poverty. Maybe you're the oldest of several kids and, and your mom was a single mom and she had to work to, just to put food on the table. And you were practically the one raising all your siblings. But understand this. When Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required, you've got to look at the statement within the context and the scope of the entire world. Some statisticians say this, that if you make between $32,400 a year, between thirty-two four up to $42,000, that you're in the top 1% richest people in all the world. And we go on and on and on about what the, the richest 1% are doing with their money or not doing in their money for humanity and for the rest of the world. But friends, that is you and that is me and that is all of us. And the question is, what are we doing? What are we doing? Rather than being the victim, rather than griping and complaining, listen, if you want to finish strong, it's time to be who God called you to be. It's time to do work that matters. Amen. Over half the world, over 3 billion people on this planet live on less than $10 a day. Friends, that makes you and that makes me rich, even if we don't feel like it. And any scripture in the Bible that talks about rich people is suddenly talking about us. In other words, you are a manager of much. God has given you much to steward over, therefore much is required of you, but it's your choice what you're going to do. So if you want to do work that matters, there's this thing that we call the road to awesome. And the idea is that in different stages of your life, traditionally, people have accomplished different types of things at those different stages. We start off with what we call the land of learning. And this is from childhood, usually till your 20s. And this is where, like in school, you learn math, how to, how to figure out the inverse ratio of a polynomial function, science, how to balance ionic equations, woodshop, how to use a lathe, soccer, how to kick a ball in a straight line and not fall over. Then if you're anything like me, you realize you're not really good at anything, any of those things, and you're really glad God called you to be a preacher. This is the stage where you begin to realize what it is that you have an affinity and a talent for. It's like you have that little kid who one day she wants to be a firewoman, and the next day she wants to be a Disney princess. Or you have a teenager who wants to be a linebacker his, his freshman year, and you're just so proud and so jazzed up. And then by the time his senior year hits, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to be drum major. You're like, this close <laughs> to the NFL. But this is a stage where we're exploring. And keep in mind, just because a kid may not be the best at something, this is not the season to tell them to just give up. This is the time where we engage their interests and their curiosities because we don't know their potential. So instead, we nurture those gifts. We let them explore the land of learning, trying new stuff with guardrails, with boundaries, of course. 
And as we get older, this may even look like in your college years, you putting your hand at being a, a business major one semester, then a chemical engineer the next. I heard a pastor say it like this. He said, your destiny tends to be less of a decision and more of a discovery. And that takes us into the land of editing. In our 30s, we typically come to the point where we realize, okay, I'm probably not going to be on America's Got Talent. Simon Caldwell's probably not going to be my best friend. God probably didn't design me to sing like Mariah Carey or do this or do that. But what did God design me to do? What am I uniquely gifted for? What special gift and talent just kind of comes easier to me than other people? And you may notice this, that in your 20s, you had 500,000 friends on Facebook, but in your 30s, you really only have like three to five really, really close friends that you know you could go to with anything. And the land of editing may look something like this. There was this gentleman, he was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Eventually, he dreamt up a theme park, and when he tried to sell this concept, it was rejected 302 times for funding. It was Walt Disney. Somebody came against him and said, you're not good at this, you're not good at that. But it was okay because he knew he was in the land of editing. And, and he thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be writing newspapers. Maybe I should be drawing. Can you imagine that conversation with his parents? They're like, no, <laughs> no, you got it backwards. But he came to the realization that maybe newspapers aren't my thing. But here's what makes me come alive. And I love this quote from Chariots of Fire, Olympic runner Eric Little. He said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Man, what is that for you? What is it that energizes you, that breathes life into your soul, like Red Bull in your veins? Man, whatever that thing is, chase that. Maybe it's sewing together these cute little hippo outfits for the Christmas program. And regardless of how hard your day was before you arrived, you know it's going to be worth it to see some cute little uncoordinated three-year-old dancing around on stage. And you know it's going to be worth it when their aunt or their uncle or their grandparents, who may never ever have stepped foot into a church, come and are sitting on the front row with the biggest smile on their face. And many of them receptive to the message of Jesus for the first time. You know it's going to be worth it. For others of you, maybe that thing is holding the door open for someone you don't know and letting them know how glad you are to see them in church. Because regardless of how poorly you were treated before you walk through the doors, you know that you have the potential to pave the way for somebody else to experience Jesus in a meaningful way. Maybe it's volunteering with a high school student. And walking them through some of life's biggest twists and turns and disappointments. Because you know what it's like to be there. And you know what it's like to feel alone and just wish you had someone like you. Not that you're perfect, not that you don't make mistakes, but someone that's willing to have the patience and the love to just show up for someone else. Whatever that thing is for you, do it and, and do it well. And eliminate as best as you can the things that drain you. 
Have you ever noticed that there are things that exhaust you physically but still energize you spiritually? That there are things that can make you so worn and tired on the outside, but on the inside you're fired up. And you're like, man, I may be tired, but I could do this for a million years. Lean into those things. And then that takes us into the land of mastering. This is traditionally a person would be in their 40s and they would find what they're good at and they would work and they would work and they would work and they would hone their craft. Unlike earlier in their 20s when they're just discovering it and they're at a beginner level, uh, scientists say that you could study something and after about 20 hours can learn it decently enough to practice it at a beginner level. So if you wanted to pick up guitar, you know, in January when you're making a New Year's resolution or learn a new language, they say that after 20 hours you can kind of get this basic beginner knowledge if you can pass that 8 to 10 hour frustration barrier. But if you want to master something, If you want to be the Michael Jordan of something, it takes in the ballpark of 10,000 hours to really master something at expert level. And from here, you move into what we call the land of harvesting. This is where you really begin to reap the benefits. This is where your business kind of becomes a well-oiled machine. Things have never been better. Maybe you're making more money than you've ever made, but even if not, There's just this level of satisfaction from what you're doing. You can't wait to wake up for work in the morning. And we call it fruitfulness. It's when what's most important to you lines up with what is most important to God. And you feel it succeeding. And then the last stage is the land of guiding. This is typically where you find somebody else and you begin to pour into them some young buck who's maybe a, a, just a tad arrogant for your taste, but you know he could benefit from the knowledge that you have and the experience and the wisdom. You just have to be willing to put up with his I'm an adult so I know everything attitude. And here's the good thing. Unlike in centuries past, when you had to literally plant and harvest just to put food on the table, when your survival and your next meal was completely dependent on the seeds that you scattered on your property, we now live in a time where you can travel this road to awesome faster than ever before. Now that doesn't mean it's a microwave solution and hey, you know, click here and all your dreams will come true. But what it does mean is that, listen, you don't have to wait till your 50s to give back. You don't have to wait till your 40s to master something. Now, if you're there, it's not too late to start. But that isn't an excuse for us not to work hard and try in the meantime. It just takes you deciding with Jesus how fast you want to set the pace. You don't have to wait to give back or guide others. In fact, if you want to finish strong, you've got to start living with the finish line in mind. Because, friends, none of us are promised a tomorrow. Neither you nor I are even promised another breath. But here's what we are promised. That none of us have to go through this life alone. That God's spirit will be about us and around us, but God's spirit will be in us. And that his word will be a light unto our path. And that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And that we have a purpose because God has ordained each and every one of us, his people, to do work that matters. 
Because to whom much is given, much is required. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. And just for a moment, as we, as we reflect, as we just spend, spend some time with Jesus, let me encourage you to, to just ask, how do I want to be remembered by those who knew me best? What words do I hope that my kids or my spouse or my best friends or my family will use to describe me? And the next question is, what is that passion God is stirring in your spirit? That he's stirring up on the inside of you. That thing that energizes you and you feel God's pleasure when you do it. Is it working with kids? Is God put on your heart that you need to lead a life group because there are other people in your stage and season of life that, that just need somebody to know that they're on the same team as them? Father, right now, God, I ask that you would just speak to every one of us, every person listening, every person, God, watching right now. God, and that you would just speak so clearly. Father, for some of us, the next couple weeks, Lord, we're going to be reevaluating the way we do our lives. And we're going to be asking ourselves, how are we going to be remembered by those who are closest to us? And Lord, for others in this room, God, I pray, God, that you would just begin to speak so clearly and just remind them, what is that thing that they're passionate about that you put there? pray that they would be obedient and that when you say go they would go and when you say do that they would do God because we are most fully satisfied when you are most fully glorified we love you and we trust you in Jesus name amen amen we love you guys have a great day you're officially dismissed and have a Merry Christmas